My Wife's Damn Inheritance, Chapter 3. Three years later, the acceleration of our brand new 2003 Chevy Tahoe took me by surprise. I hadn't felt this much power since driving my old Challenger. Finally, after 10 years, I was able to buy a new car for my family. No more cracked windows, duct-taped dashboards, or knobs that fell off every time we changed radio stations. No more parents tackling their kids as they tried to board our car. Chris and Jill sat in the back seat. We can control the air conditioning from back here. Chris adjusted the knobs on the console above his head. What's air conditioning? I made eye contact with Jill in the rearview mirror. Now you don't have to be embarrassed when I pick you up at school. I was never embarrassed, Dad. Alex sat next to me in the front seat. I'm driving this puppy in September. We'll see about that. I'll have my permit. I am driving it, Dad, Jill interjected. How about you just shut up and enjoy our new car? Are we rich now? I laughed. No, Chris, I got a car allowance with my new job. Mom's catching up, Dad, Alex yelled, looking out the window. Floor it! We're not racing, Alex. Donna waved from behind the wheel of our old van. It was her idea that I drive the new car home from the dealership. What are we going to do with that old piece of junk? Alex asked. We had lots of fun in that van, Alex, Jill protested. Stop calling it junk. Indeed, it was more than junk. The old van brought so many good memories. The night before, we'd said a formal goodbye to our second home for most of the kids' childhood. We opened some sparkling cider and held an impromptu driveway celebration. We passed the bottle around the crushed velvet, raisin, and bubblegum-stained seats, and each of us shared a favorite story. Camping, watching sunrises, escaping from mosquitoes. My favorite happened a few years earlier, when funds were tight. At a soccer tournament, we didn't have enough money to let Jill join her new club soccer teammates, who'd invited her to go out for pizza. Instead, we sat in the parking lot of the local Albertsons, eating sandwiches from home with Cheetos knockoffs and cheap fruit pies I'd bought for less than five bucks. The kids were excited about eating junk food and didn't seem to care about anything else. Jill looked right sitting in this new car. All three of them did. It was time for them to enjoy something nice. They deserved it. I couldn't help but think how close we came to giving everything up. Jeff's future is so bright, he has to wear shades. To complete the paperwork for the donation, I needed the van's title. Donna said it was in her desk drawer. I fumbled around, then pulled open the bottom drawer of the filing cabinet and saw something I hadn't seen in three years. A stack of dusty travel magazines and guidebooks staring at me. Once again, I thought about how close we came to giving everything up and going to Europe. It made me shudder. Just weeks after Donna proposed her trip idea, a job fell into my lap. The studio manager position at the cable company opened up. I'd learned enough about video production to get hired, and the salary would keep us afloat until the real estate market picked up again and I could resume my appraisal business. Not long after getting that job, another miracle happened. While making one of my follow-up calls to the PBS station, I got through to the program director. He and Mr. Lewis had been considering adding my show to their schedule. He asked me if I could deliver 13 broadcast-quality tapes by the 1st of January. I nearly dropped the phone. My answer was a big yes, even though I knew I'd have to spend every waking hour over the following weeks producing these shows. Thank God I'd taken the job at the studio because now I had control of scheduling. We spent the holiday season frantically shooting and editing 13 shows. 
It was stressful, yet I was more excited than I'd been in my life. Donna was supportive of this new venture. She turned out to be a natural director, and the quality of the show really improved with her at the helm. It was in her blood, after all. I mean, did I mention her grandfather was a studio cameraman? It was no longer my show, but our show. Her Europe plan didn't pan out, but I felt as though I'd redeemed myself financially. Even better, hosting a TV cooking show in Southern California provided a lifestyle that was suddenly so exciting. The show itself wasn't earning any money, but the fringe benefits were plenty. Chefs were inviting us to their restaurants and treating Donna and me like royalty. Wineries, breweries, and food producers gave us private tours of their facilities and samples galore. I was judging food contests and hosting events. Our life was a blast. Who needed Europe? Whole lot of ham. Running a public access studio was like being the ringmaster of a circus, but with more clowns. Characters of all sorts came and went. Preachers, dancers, chiropractors, astronomers, and horror show enthusiasts. These were not like the shows you'd watch on other channels. We had a psychic who stared into the camera for 30 minutes, mostly in a trance as his creepy eyes gazed into nothingness. A woman complained that the show was scaring her kids. After I pulled it, he left a nasty voicemail, demanding to know why I stopped his show. I never called him back, figuring, if he was such a great psychic, why waste time with a telephone? A woman that hosted a parenting show always brought her kids to the studio. While she prepared for her shoot, the kids ran around tripping on cables and knocking shit over. Guess who played babysitter? This woman was totally oblivious and cared more about coordinating her caterer a local Italian joint that provided free pasta in exchange for a plug. She also had an apparel store that provided her co-panelists with clothes to wear on camera. But with one caveat, they had to give the clothes back. So rather than pulling her kids down from the lighting grid, she focused on ensuring the ladies didn't spill spaghetti on their blouses. Most of the local politicians had talk shows and brought in exciting guests, like the head of the goddamn water district or the chair of some who-gives-a-shit board. Staying awake during the tapings was a challenge, even for the hosts. My personal favorite was the pastor who interviewed puppets. This man wasn't a ventriloquist, nor did he bother to change his voice when the puppet spoke. He just sort of talked to himself with a sock on his hand. He and a puppet used to pray before the show. During one show, he said, Lord, help us. The man in the kitchen is running the studio. I got the studio every other Thursday to shoot my cooking show. Donna's brother Dan was our dessert specialist. Sherry helped me organize ingredients, and Lee worked camera. Other friends filled in as crew. I had constant banter with them as I cooked. It felt like a dinner party gone wild, and I wanted our viewers to feel welcome, as if they were sitting there with us. I wasn't a famous chef, nor did I own a restaurant. My qualifications to host a show like this were simple. I could cook and talk at the same time. The show was not polished, and the Food Network wasn't exactly banging on my door. We had a good time and made people laugh. That was most important to me. But it would have been nice to make some money. Damn that swivel! Donna's part read by Donna Baker. Managing the public access studio was so much fun, it didn't seem like a job. The other producers were such characters. There was never a dull moment. After a couple of years, I had to face facts. This job would never pay enough to support my family. I needed to get my button gear and find sponsors for my show. I spent a few weeks playing salesman, bugging people for money, 
Sitting in crowded lobbies waiting to pitch my show to 20-something junior vice presidents was a soul-sucking experience. Selling was not for me. While gassing up the old van, I ran into an old co-worker. He was smartly dressed and driving a brand-new sedan. He was running the appraisal division at a national mortgage company and was swamped with work. The real estate market was finally back. He offered me a job right there at the pump, a base salary that was twice what I was earning at the studio, along with a bonus program and a car allowance. And it got better. Kicker number one, I could work from home and pretend I didn't work for a corporation. Kicker number two, he was a fan of my show and promised to give me flexibility to keep producing it. This new job was definitely my plan B, but it seemed to be the best option, and Donna agreed. We'd be out of the woods with financial problems, and I'd still have time to work on my show. I wanted to get it distributed nationally, then offer a cookbook at the end of the show, which seemed like a better way to make money than selling to sponsors. And Donna agreed. We paid off the bills, and I felt my life was on track again. And Donna agreed. At least I thought she agreed. With this new job, there was no commute, meetings, or otherwise wasted time of office distractions, which saved me at least six hours a day. I started putting together recipes for a cookbook. A friend who'd published recently turned me on to a typesetter. I met with them one afternoon, and they agreed to take my mammoth document and turn it into something a printing press could recognize, all for a reasonable fee. I drove home that day as happy as a clam to share the good news with Donna. Walking up the driveway, I heard her cheerful voice calling me to the backyard. Come see what I did. She moved our garden bench to a shady spot beneath a tree. We sat down and I explained how within a few weeks we could have a couple thousand books printed and finally we'd be in business. She didn't seem to be listening. Something else preoccupied her mind. She grinned from ear to ear. Okay, what's up? I finally asked. Her smile got bigger and my heart started beating. What? They sold the building. Donna's family owned a company called Ward Engineering. Back in the 50s, her grandfather, Ward, invented a shiny little device known as the swivel, a lighting component with movable joints. Most people remember these from those ultra-fashionable floor-to-ceiling poles with three lights. The swivel connected the pole to the light. They had other popular uses as well. Her grandfather manufactured millions of them. The once thriving business had begun to lose steam over time. Lighting parts could be manufactured cheaper in China, and the aging equipment was breaking down. Donna's parents had been running the company since Ward passed a few years earlier. Now they just wanted to retire, and they'd been trying to sell, but they couldn't find a buyer. Recently, they decided to just sell the equipment and the building. You know what this means. Damn that swivel. How would you spend your inheritance? Donna's part read by Donna Baker. I knew that per the terms of her grandfather's will, Donna would inherit a percentage of the money from the building sale. She sat there staring at me, waiting for my response. Jeffrey, do you realize what this means? I didn't want to answer. I knew exactly what was coming, and it was like embracing myself to get hit by a frozen turkey. Let me guess. You want your European vacation? Yes, and for five months. I smacked myself in the forehead. Five months? How much money do you think you're getting? It will be enough, Jeffrey. I leaned forward. You'll spend the entire wad. Shouldn't that money go into retirement or something? Mm, some of it, maybe. Remember how close we came to losing our house three years ago? Jeffrey, you were willing to sell the house and move to Europe. I never agreed to that. Besides, we were desperate, and I wasn't thinking straight. 
Jeffrey, this time we don't have to sell the house. Just because the circumstances change doesn't mean my dream has changed. I stood up. I could feel my blood boiling. Just when everything in my life was lining up, she hits me with this. I don't get your passion for travel. You'll never understand travel until you experience it yourself. People take three-week vacations to Europe. Nobody goes for five months. I don't want to be like everybody else. Damn it. I wiped my hand down my face. My mind raced. What about my job? Do you just expect me to up and quit? You can get a leave of absence. What about the show? They can play reruns while you're gone. But I want to start selling the cookbook. The station thinks we're ready to go national. The show could finally start making some serious money. Jeffrey, the window of opportunity is now. Soon the kids will be grown and gone. Alex is turning 16. In two years he'll be off to college. Jill's going to be right behind him. We'll never get them out of school for this. They have independent study programs at the high school. And Chris's teacher will work with us. With my fingers locked behind my head, I paced around in small circles. Let's just go for three weeks next summer. You don't get it, Jeffrey. We need time to experience the culture over there. I don't want to blow through Italy and France. I want to experience Italy and France. Nearly half a year, every day, all day long with the kids. Do you really want that? Jeffrey, how much quality time have you spent with them lately? I sat back down next to her. Your timing couldn't be worse. She rested her hand on mine. We need to focus on our family. Alex is growing up so fast. His world is drawing him away from us. He's dating a girl that's too old for him. I'm dreading the day he gets his driver's license. He's not ready for the independence he so desperately wants. We need to spend time with him now. Jill is so busy with soccer and her friends, we hardly see her anymore. And poor Chris. He's lost in the shuffle. More silence passed. I've had it with all this. I'm tired of the demands of the teachers, coaches, bosses, all on top of producing a weekly television show. I offered her my sleeve. Travel's much more than you realize, Jeffrey. It made me who I am. It gave me self-confidence. It opened my eyes and opened my mind. While living in Finland, I promised to bring my own family back one day, to share it with them. For several years now, I was afraid that that wouldn't happen. I don't think I could live with regret of not going. Tears trickled back in her eyes. You never shared that part of me. I felt her hand gently stroking my hair. Jeffrey, we can always get the money back, but we will never get the time back. God, get me out of this mess. Donna's part read by Donna Baker. We dropped Chris off at school and sped toward the escrow office. Donna had to sign final papers for the sale of the building. This was happening way too fast. I'd been practicing the power of positive thinking, positively hoping something would stop this trip. I approached my boss and merely suggested that I was considering an extended vacation in Europe with my family. I was expecting him to freak out on me, but to my surprise, he wasn't even slightly phased. We could work something out, he had the audacity to say. There was no way the PBS station was going to let this happen. I'd been delivering shows consistently as promised from day one. Yet when I sheepishly approached the program director, he assured me that repeats would be acceptable for five months. He even arranged to tag the old shows with the new cookbook offering so our books could start selling right away. This wasn't exactly going my way. We met with a counselor at the high school. I thought she'd be my savior. Instead, she enthusiastically supported the idea of our kids spending five months in Europe. She promised to arrange an independent study program for Alex and Jill. A traveler herself, she spent most of our meetings suggesting places to visit over there. Getting Chris excused from fifth grade was annoyingly easy. 
Both his teacher and the school principal suggested that Chris use email to update his class of the adventures. His teacher planned to hang a map in the classroom so his classmates could follow his travels. I couldn't get a break. Our car was silent except for the sound of Donna's pencil scribbling across a yellow pad. She was working out the final expenses of the trip. She'd need a small fortune to pull this off. In addition to the travel costs, we'd have to set aside five mortgage payments and have enough left in savings to tide us over until my income started up again. My stomach was a mess. I looked past the freeway into the blue sky above and hoped that God would get me out of this mess, just like he did before. Got it. Donna finally said, thumping the eraser against her hand. She held up the pad and pointed to a number. No way. You really think you'll get that much? I was trying to hide my sarcasm. She smiled nervously. I found a parking spot just outside the building. I dropped some quarters in the meter, figuring an hour would be sufficient. We walked slowly to the entrance. Donna held my arm tightly. A woman greeted us at the counter. A loud buzzer went off and the door opened. We walked down a hallway among freshly dusted plastic plants. Our escrow officer waited for us at a small cubicle. She was an older woman who'd obviously been through this procedure hundreds of times. We sat down and went through the paperwork. And finally, she declared, handing Donna a clipboard, you'll need to sign for your check. With no detectable emotion, Donna signed her name. That was it. Only 15 minutes had passed on the meter. Donna remained quiet. How much? I asked. I don't know. Unlock my door. Didn't you see the amount when you... Unlock the door, Jeffrey. We jumped inside. She sat motionless in her seat. The green envelope clutched in her hands. I'm afraid to look. We sat there for what seemed like an eternity. Muffled traffic was the only sound. Tearing paper finally broke the silence. She pulled out the check and studied it. My heart pounded. She began to sob. My heart sunk. My feelings, not exactly what I'd anticipated at this moment of realizing a major trip for a family of five would simply cost too much. Rather than be giddy with relief, I felt like a heel. I'm sorry, babe, I finally said. She opened her eyes and handed me the check. I read the amount. It was nearly twice the amount she'd written on the pad. We're going to Europe.